Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie. I have a brand new guest on. Her name is Anna Tisenik. She has, and she's a 54-year-old mother of two adult daughters, a graduate of New York University's College of Arts and Science, a former department manager and assistant buyer for Macy's East, and a former account manager for the Swatch Group USA. She is both a victim of and a witness to the violations of law and abuse of power of officers of the court and their accomplices. She is speaking out and blowing the whistle on the manipulation of our courts and is doing so in the public interest and to raise a red flag about the injustices that are taking place within our court system under the color of law. Anna is a victim of the violations of law of New York State Justice Anna Culley, and as such, she has initiated the petition calling on New York State lawmakers to impeach Judge Anna Culley for those violations of law, for denying litigants their due process rights by falsifying material facts on her judgments and subsequent orders, and for abuse of office in issuing contempt of court orders of eviction orders for her favored litigants. Anna has also submitted a letter of testimony to the United Nations Special Rapporteur, Ms. Reem, Aslam in response to the special reporter's call for input on the subject of custody cases, violence against women, and violence against children. Anna can be found on Facebook, Anna Sikhenis Shehas, and can be reached through her LinkedIn profile page, Anna Shehas. So I welcome you, Anna, to slam the gavel. You know, you've been through a lot and have seen a lot. Where are you at with with your case? Well, thank you, first of all, Marianne, for having me. I'm glad to be here. Um, I, I really feel that, uh, that we should uh, basically, I, I feel a need to just speak out and uh, talk about what I've been through, mm-hmm. uh, what I've witnessed, and uh, the violations that I've experienced myself. So um, I'm here just as uh, uh, just as uh, uh, to really talk about this and to uh, raise awareness and to um, hopefully bring about change. I, I think mm-hmm. that people need to really know what's going on. Um, so basically, um, the uh, the violations that I've experienced are ongoing. Mm-hmm. And um, just this past, within the past couple of days, uh, I've uh, reached a milestone, which is a devastating milestone uh, of, a, it's been a year since uh, the, the judge in my case, Judge Anna Culley, uh, issued um, fraudulent eviction orders. And I, my daughter and I were illegally evicted from uh, my residence, from my home, um, that I have owned uh, since uh, ni- uh, March of 1995. And so the eviction took place uh, last year, February 1st of 2022. And um, those orders were, uh, she uh, went forward with those orders because I 
uh, would not abide by her uh, initial judgment of divorce um, that she uh, that she signed uh, and issued back in uh, June, the end of June of 2020, of 2020 during the pandemic. Uh, so because I wouldn't abide by those orders, because they contained, they were obtained through fraud, and I'll get into the background on how that came to be, um, because I wouldn't abide by those fraudulent orders, she then, you know, my, my uh, husband and his attorney would go back to her uh, and file uh, motions to find me in contempt of court. Um, so with e and I would answer each one of them. So with each subsequent uh, uh, motion that they filed, um, I would answer her. And uh, she used the fact that I was not abiding by her uh, orders, and I was protecting my property, basically. Um, and she would use that against me to say, well, you're not abi abiding by my fraudulent orders, so therefore I'm going to issue an eviction order. And that's what ultimately happened. It was uh, devastating. Um, my younger daughter and I, the, the, New York State, uh, the New York City Sheriff's Department came last year and they served me with um, the notice of eviction at the end of January. And at that point in time, I had told them that the judge was working uh, um, with uh, my husband and his attorney and the litigation funder. So I'm going to get into that uh, at this point in time. Okay. How everything, uh, the way things started was that back in, uh, I had to file for divorce in May of 2016. Uh, because my husband had come to me a month prior. Now we're talking about <laughs> a 23-year marriage. Uh, we were married in February of uh, February 28th of 1993. So this is now going into 2016. That's 23 years of marriage. Uh, in April of 2016, my husband came to me and he said, uh, "You know what?" we are, uh, I am, my, my brother, his brother, my brother-in-law, uh, Gus Sheeha, uh, John says to me, well, we're, I'm going to go into partnership with my brother and we are going to use our, uh, the rental uh, building, investment property that we have in Brooklyn, which the address to that, and this is key, the address to that uh, building is 191 State Street, Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn, New York. Um, we're, I, I'm going to go into, uh, we're going to go into a partnership with my brother and the rents that we collect, uh, my brother is going to invest in, in uh, whatever renovations or whatever. And the rents that we collect, we're going to basically be giving him back the money. Like we're, we're going to be borrowing against our own property that we already own. And I said to him, that doesn't make any sense. That's, no. I'm not agreeing to that. Um, I said to him, you know, at that point in time, now, 
we're talking about 20, uh, 2016, my oldest daughter, I have, again, I have two adult, adult daughters. Uh, my oldest daughter at the time was 18 years old and my youngest daughter was 15 years old. So now they're both in their, you know, late teens. Um, my oldest daughter is already not considered a minor, right? So, um, and so, so she was on her way to college. She had already gotten, we had gotten the college acceptances letters. Uh, she, you know, she got, she received scholarships. That's a thing um, with, with the girls, um, with both girls. And I said to him, absolutely not. I'm not agreeing to that. Mm -hmm. You know, we have our, our oldest daughter is starting college and our youngest daughter is, uh, you know, uh, right behind her. Um, so I'm not agreeing to that. We're doing just fine. The building that we have, uh, we're managing, we're managing it, you know, fine. I, and I just want to put a footnote uh, here that um, we didn't, uh, you know, we never had like an extravagant lifestyle. You know, we were at that point in time, we were, um, we had two, uh, uh, two rental buildings, mm -hmm. but he and his brother zoned in on this particular building, 191 State Street, because that building was transferred to us in a life estate deed. And that's really key because that life estate deed then became part of the exhibits for the divorce that would ensue. Now, okay, so that's the background. He came to me, I said, no, I'm not doing it. And uh, at that point when I refused him and I told him no, then he started to make things very, very difficult. It wouldn't be until later on in, this, uh, in, in the divorce process, I wouldn't discover until later on um, that this was all premeditated. Mm -hmm. uh, and I discovered that it was all premeditated because once we eventually started uh, going through the divorce process, my attorney uh, showed me the contract, a promissory note that he eventually signed with his brother mm -hmm. after he was served with the divorce papers. So going back, so we had that conversation. I said, no, absolutely not. He started to make life di very difficult. Um, and he would not only make life difficult for me, he would make life difficult for the girls as well. Mm. So he would instigate um, arguments and, and all of this is around uh, finances. It all had to do with um, our, our, you know, uh, our financial life. Uh, that's where it stemmed from. And so um, at, uh, at, at one point, we had gotten back from a church service. And uh, he created an, an, an argument. I can even tell you what it, you know, the argument was about having uh, somebody come in uh, to, to do a service call for, for that day. And that's where the argument started. It ended by him calling up his brother and saying to him, um, Gus, you know what? Get the, uh, get the uh, attorney get the paperwork ready, I'm ready to sign whatever it is so that we can go forward with a divorce. 
this is what, you know, this is what we experienced. Both of my girls were, you know, broke out in tears. That day, I just, you know, uh, made the decision. I just took them both and we ended up just, you know, just uh, going to family just to just process everything. Mm -hmm. But again, it was all premeditated. Finally, after, after that happened, I, um, uh, I wanted to save my marriage. I wanted to do everything. This is 23 years. We have two beautiful, we have two beautiful girls. Um, We have a good stable life. So I immediately, you know, he had agreed then at that point to go to uh, a marriage counselor. We Mm -hmm. also agreed, um, we went to our family priest and we decided to talk uh, about things. Um, At that point though, after each session, he, I I thought that he was sincere, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't, he would come back and then cause, like figure out what else to, to, to do, to kind of just do this, uh, you know, this chaos mm-hmm. and to, and this conflict. Um, finally it was, uh, again, this brings us to about like mid May. I retained an attorney because I saw the writing was on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, I, I said to my attorney, you know what, let's just proceed with the divorce. I'm seeing that he doesn't, you know, I'm willing to, to do the work, but he's not, I got, I had, I started to get a sense that something was not right here. Mm. Um, so then he was served with the divorce papers in May of 2016. Uh, and, um, then, uh, as I said before, it didn't get, it got to the point where we were already at, uh, the discovery process. Uh, my second attorney now, this was, uh, I had reached by December of 2016, it was all right. I was already onto my second attorney and oh, I'll cool. go in, in a little bit about that. Um, but the second attorney showed me the papers that my husband was, uh, submitting to the court. And in those papers, lo and behold, was a promissory note that he signed with his brother, and his brother's um, uh, corporation, which is uh, called uh, Tarazza LLC. Um, as soon as I spotted that, which is, you know, it was kind of buried in like a pile of papers. He was burying it in kind of nonsense, like she's doing this, she's doing that. Look at what she's, you know, look at this, look at this here, look at this there. So it was kind of just buried. I had to like quickly go through everything. When I sat down and actually read it and did my research on it, I discovered that, you know what, this is fraud, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I told my then attorney, my second attorney, Michael Dickman, I told him, I said, you know, something is not right here by him going against, uh, by the way, he, he him uh, going ahead and signing uh, a financial agreement with his brother after he was served with um, with the divorce summons that makes it a, uh, a a breach a violation of automatic orders here in the state of New York once uh, a divorce action is uh, initiated automatic orders go into place hence the word automatic mm-hmm. um, and he, he knew this he knew this, his attorney knew this. Um, and at that point, I said to my attorney, 
you know, I said to him that this is fraud, uh, you know, and at that point, after I initiate, after I kind of pointed that out to my, to my second attorney, he um, started to say, well, you know, he, 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 he put some things in process, but then at uh, the end of four months, now the second attorney took, uh, took a retainer fee of $25,000. The end of four months, uh, then he said, you know what, I'm, I'm no longer uh, willing to work with you on this case. You have to find another attorney. Uh, so this is, this brings us to about uh, early, like January of 2017. At that point in 2017, I uh, then find another attorney who's willing to take on, to take on the case. He asks for another $25,000 retainer fee. And by the way, the, the first attorney who initiated, who helped me initiate the divorce action, uh, her office took $10,000. So the 10,000 for four months, then we went to attorney number two, 25,000 for another four months. And then he decided when I started to point out the fraud, he turned around and said, I can no longer represent you. The third attorney then, he was another $25,000 retainer fee. Um, I didn't have, you know, I, I, I didn't have the, the, the money, I needed to borrow money from from family. And, I, and luckily, I was in a position where I could do that. Um, the, the first uh, attorney, I had to liquidate my IRA, as you mentioned, oh, in, no. your, in your introduction, I had worked um, my early uh, career before I uh, became a stay at home mom to raise the, the my, you know, our two daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was when I worked for Macy's, and when I worked for Swatch, I had uh, started a 401k, I had started an IRA, um, I had to liquidate that and just to pay for the attorney's fees. So, uh, it, and that was just the first attorney. So then, uh, again, so like, uh, by the time that I got to the third attorney, we're talking about $60,000. And, you know, not to drag things out, but at that point, with the third attorney, um, some things were happening where the third attorney was stating that uh, um, my husband and his attorney then uh, approximately like by, by the uh, middle, I believe it was in uh, June or July of 2017, decided that they were going to uh, file an appeal for the temporary orders of Judge Anna Cully to contest the 50-50 uh, custody agreement. He wanted, and, which is uh. ridiculous. It's that ridiculous is. because we're talking about, you know, the, um, again, my oldest daughter by uh, 2017, she was already 19 years old. There really yeah. is no custody there, right? right. So then the second, uh, my, my younger daughter at that point, she was 16 years old. So now he's contesting, and this is what I'm talking about, the crazy making. He was, cont- and the conflict making, he was contesting in an appeal uh, the temporary orders, basically, it boils down to the temporary orders of custody of a 16-year-old, where 
there there was no pro- there was no problem with any of this. Oh. So um, and the reason why he what I'm saying, going back to what I was saying before, that it was that all of this is kind of premeditated, it's all basically planned out. What happened was, when I said no to him, to the financial agreement, he decided, well, you know what, now, uh, we're going, I'm going to force you into a situation where I'm going to financially destroy you. Um, he forced the situation, basically what, what, uh, he engaged in was, um, financial rape, Mm -hmm. uh, our estate at that time that when I filed for divorce, our estate at that time, uh, and I'm talking about, we can boil it down to like really real estate properties, which is three key, key real estate properties. The property that was under the life estate deed. 191 State Street, that that was at its peak worth $4 million. Now, the fluctuation is very minimal. You know, mm-hmm. there's not, not, not these like wide fluctuations. The second home that we purchased during our marriage, investment home, which we purchased back in um, October of, 20, of uh, 2003, that was um, a, another joint property. 458 State Street, that was worth another $4 million. So now we're up to $8 million. And our home that we purchased after we got married in 1993, we purchased our home uh, in March of 1995. We, mm-hmm. The marital home we purchased for $240,000 at the time by now uh, it's worth over a million dollars. So we're talking about $9 million in the marital estate in joint and all of the properties are, are, and were jointly owned. Um, so, uh, he, he couldn't decide, you know, how, how was he going to, uh, make his case? How was he going to get full control of the properties. The only way that he could do this is to use and weaponize the court system. He knew Mm -hmm. this, he knew this. Um, Immediately after I filed for divorce, one of the first motions that, uh, uh, well, my attorney, uh, you know, I told my attorney, I I said, uh, everything is under his name. I gave up my uh, career and, and I would do it again. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you. I gave up my career to raise our family. Um, so uh, um, at the at the time that uh, so one of my first motions was to uh, ask my attorney to petition the court to get temporary uh, spousal maintenance because mm-hmm. obviously this guy was, uh, you know, it was all about financially destroying me. So I knew I needed access to our marital funds. By the way, our marital funds at that time were, was over $300,000 a year. Mm. Um, I didn't get uh, any spousal maintenance. Basically what the judge said in her orders 
was that she was keeping everything uh, as of the status quo. So he took that to mean, okay, the status quo, uh, he took that to mean that he was going to take over all of the finances and he was only going to give me $100 a week. Okay, so like for for spending money, um, which, you know, again, I'm going to the, the court say, you know, crying that, uh, you know, I, I need to divorce this person because he is breaching his fiduciary duty towards me and our children. Mm-hmm. Um, I offered all we ended up going to trial uh, and, and the way we we ended up going to trial was that, and again, this is all premeditated, um, by the time my third attorney took over the case, uh, as I I stated before, he said to me that, you know, your husband has filed a temp to appeal the temporary order of the judge. Mm -hmm. So, but we're not going to represent you in that appeal. So I had to hurry up Ugh. and, 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 and do my research, learn, uh, uh, you know, the laws, learn about the appeals, uh, court. I ran to the appeals court with all my papers and I said, uh, here I am, I'm going to be pro se, mm-hmm. you know, what, what, what can I do at that point? Um, well, it, and it turned out that the, with the appeals court, um, they didn't get the, you know, the, the appeals, the appeals court asked for certain uh, documents from the other side. They didn't get it into, into, uh, into the court. So of course the court uh, and the judges uh, dismissed it Mm -hmm. and rightly so, rightly so, because again, this was all uh, pretense, you know, to get me into uh, uh, the appeals court process and just do a lot of crazy making over there. That was the one good thing. That was a good decision that the, that the appeals court said, you know what? No, you're not, you're not getting uh, the, the documents in on time. We're dismissing it. That was good. Um, now that was uh, the summer of 2017. By, I believe it was about August or September of 2017. Uh, he serves me with an order to show cause. Again, the order to show cause, first time that I'm seeing like an order to show cause that he's basically saying, we're asking the court to find her in contempt of court uh, and you know, to, to either fine her or for her to serve jail time. And um, so let me give you some background on to why they were trying to get me uh, you know, for this order to show cause. Um, as I stated before, one of his uh, first motions that he filed with his attorney upon um, being served with the divorce papers was that he wanted uh, for the court to order that our family members, all of us, should undergo a uh, psychological, um, you know, custody, right. Yeah. All of it, psychological custody, forensic evaluations. Right. 
And again, what, uh, how can you, where there was um, no, um, there wasn't uh, a need uh, for that. It was just for the purpose of having me declared incompetent, crazy, unfit. And we're talking about, you know, my girls were proof that all of that was nonsense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, my 18 year old was um, with, with a scholarship, uh, made it into the college, uh, the colleges of her choice with scholarships. My younger daughter was at the time, um, you know, an honor student in high school pursuing her musical um, uh, education. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the proof was in, was in, uh, our daughters. There, there was no nothing about this here to to find me incompetent. Why would he want to find me incompetent and put me in that situation? The only reason is to take control of the nine million dollar estate, and not only the nine million dollar estate, but the uh, household income of over three hundred thousand dollars a year. And that's exactly uh, what ended up happening. But they couldn't. They, they kind of had to do it in a, in a, in a, in a back roads kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I had no idea going into this. I really had no idea um, that these are all kind of uh, strategies, that these are established strategies, that these are established patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the, with the, she ended up, the, the judge ended up granting them their order for the entire family to go through a forensic evaluation. So, okay, great. My attorney said, you know, I can't be there with you. Um, you know, you're going to have to go on your own. I, I said, you know, that's, that's, that's fine. I, I, I don't mind doing that. But once I made the appointment and I got there to uh, uh, meet with the forensic evaluator, one of the first things he did right off the bat, you know, he, he briefly interviewed me. I told him exactly what I'm telling you, mm-hmm. that the reason I had to uh, file for divorce was economic abuse. My, mm-hmm. my husband basically said he was going to take control of, of you know, uh, he was going to breach our, his fiduciary duty towards me and our girls. And he was going to take control of, of everything, of our properties and everything. So that lasted a very, very short time, you know, uh, within our meeting. Immediately, he wanted me to take um, a a psychological uh, personality profile test, which later on he identified as the uh, Milan uh, multi-axial personality profile, clinical uh, personality uh, profile Um, inventory. So I, uh, you know, I agreed. I, I, I said, fine, I agreed to it. Um, so I went through the test, went through the entire, you know, all of the questions. Um, and I answered the best way that I could, knowing that I was there under court order. The judge stated that, you know what? Um, uh, Miss, it's a kind of she has 
you need to go, uh, um, you have no choice. You have to go and meet with the psychological evaluator uh, and uh, otherwise you will be found in contempt of court. I met my obligation, I went, I took the test. At the end of the test, he saw that I had um, omitted uh, quite a number of questions and he questioned me about that. I said to him, well, that's because I can't answer those on if they're, they're not factual. So I'm answering the, these questions as I would in a court of law. I'm not here, you know, to meet with you for uh, um, therapeutic uh, purposes. You know, this isn't, uh, you're, you're not my therapist, you know, this isn't, a, I'm not seeking uh, therapy from you. I'm not seeking to become well or whatever. Right. I said to him, uh, I'm here under court order. So mm -hmm. I'm going to answer these questions as I would in a court of law under oath uh, with my attorney present. Um, and so he said to me, yeah, but uh, we use we use these tests in, uh, in, in courtroom settings all the time. I said, you know, that very well may be, but again, the design of the test, because I had done some research, the design of the test is not to be used in a legal uh, setting. Mm -hmm. It's to be used in a clinical setting. Like, in other words, there had to be, you know, uh, I, I would have to have come to him for therapy. I wasn't there for therapy. I was there through the judge's orders. At the end of that conversation, he um, then gave me a piece of paper and he said, um, well, please sign this piece of paper. I read through it just quickly. And I, it was obvious to me that he was asking me to sign a general release form mm -hmm. for both myself and for our my younger daughter, because now, you know, like I said, she was uh, at the time she was 16 years old um, for her, for my medical records and for her medical records to be released. And I, uh, and also um, that, that I was agreeing to, for, for him to be part of, you know, this case. Um, I looked it over and immediately because my attorney wasn't there, I said, I don't feel, you know, I'm, I'm quickly reading this, but I would, I would like to have my lawyer look at it. Mm -hmm. And he said, that's fine. You know, take it, let your lawyer look at it. When I did give it to my lawyer, my lawyer then uh, looked it over and he said, well, to me, this is a contract. So I said, right, it's a contract. So why would I enter into a contract mm -hmm. with someone when I was court ordered to be there? Mm -hmm. I didn't seek him out for therapy. I didn't seek him out for any other reason. I was court ordered to go to him. So why would I sign a contract with him? There was no reason. That's when I knew that it was not in my best interest to return, uh, you know, uh, to have anything to do with him because um, he was being, uh, uh, by him not disclosing, uh, you know, and for, by him trying to get me to sign a consent form, even though, uh, when you're court ordered, uh, to, to, to do these things, 
there, there is no, there is no consent. I'm here under court order there. Right. You know, what, what can I, what can I do? Um, so, uh, that goes back to, so I set up the, the whole scenario with that, that goes back to now with my third attorney, the other side filed an order to show cause to find me in contempt because they were stating that because of those actions that I was in contempt of court, that I did not abide by her court orders. Mm. Uh, and I, I stood up at that, uh, when I met with my, um, again, the, th- the attorney that was represented me, re- representing me at that time, the third attorney, I said to him, well, you know, we have to answer this, yeah. this order to show cause, because if I don't answer this order to show cause, she can throw me in jail and she can find me for no reason. Uh, and he, and he, his advice to me was like, oh no, we're not, you know, we're not going to do anything. We're not, we'll just show up that day, whatever it is. I didn't think that that made any sense to me. So I, uh, he did allow me to prepare, uh, you know, my, my response to the motion, which I did. After I prepared my response to the motion, uh, and before the actual court hearing, um, he called, he called me up and he said, you know what, um, one of the partners wants to have a talk with you. Let's, uh, can you come in? I said, that's, that's fine. And, uh, so the partner sat down and said to me, um, well, we are, uh, we're, we're not going to be representing you anymore because apparently, you know, you, you know, you, you want to, you want to actually speak out and you want to intervene so that you're not going to be thrown in jail. <laughs> oh. I mean, that's not what he said, but that's the, that's the, you know, the message that I got. So, and he said, we could do this one of two ways. We can either, you can either move on, you know, on your own and uh, whatever, or you would have to request that, you know, uh, you could, you know, kind of ask that we put in a motion to be, to withdraw from the case. I went through this with my second attorney. Uh, I made the mistake of, with my second attorney of saying to him, um, okay, I'll move on, you know, and that was foolish of me because it, it didn't get it on the record. Um, so, uh, so I learned by this time. So I was like, uh, nope, you're going to have to put in a motion to withdraw. You know, that's, that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And so we showed up on the hearing day of the order to show cause and uh, the um, the judge basically was then yelling at me. She basically said to me, you can't have it both ways. You are represented. So you cannot speak on your own behalf. Um, so you can't have it both ways. You have to make a decision. And that's when my attorney said, you know, we're we are going to be filing a motion to withdraw make a long story short, she uh, granted them the motion to withdraw. Now this brings us into year, uh, this brings us into 2018. By January of 2018, the third lawyer had withdrawn. I'm now pro se, right? Not because I want to be pro se, but because I've spent $60,000 we're going into two years after he, 
I served my husband with the uh, divorce summons. So this is, uh, again, this is 2018. So the other side, again, I'm going to say it again, this is all premeditated, mm -hmm. part of the playbook. The other side said, oh, now she's pro se. So we're going to um, go ahead with, uh, we're going to file the note of issue. So the note of issue is what triggers the start of a trial. We're going to be going to trial. So, and so, you know, let's see how she does mm -hmm. when she get, when we get her alone to represent herself and we're going to be, you know, a trial. So I was devastated. I mean, at one point, the mm -hmm. judge, at one hearing, the judge said, um, just to, uh, you know, inform me about the procedures and how it was going to go. She said to me, well, um, you know, if you don't get, this is what you have to get in. And, you know, it was a whole laundry list of things I had to, you know, the legal preparations I had to do in order to be prepared to go into trial. Mm -hmm. And she said, and if you don't get these uh, things in on time and follow, you know, and follow the civil procedures rules, um, you will be, um, there's a word for it that you, um, I think you will be like a, uh, precluded, you know, basically yeah. that I would be excluded uh -huh. from participating in my own trial. So mm -hmm. I was without a lawyer. Uh, she was basically uh -huh. saying that if I didn't follow everything to the T uh, as a pro se litigant, that um, that's it. You know, I, I would be kind of excluded and they would just do whatever they wanted. Luckily, and I'm a person of faith, so... <laughs> Um, you know, luckily I just, you know, I, uh, I, I remember when, when she was saying that, uh, in the courtroom and, you know, there's, you know, I was, I've, I've always been respectful, always stood up when you're supposed to stand up. I was standing up at the time when she was saying all these things. And when I heard her saying that, you know, you, you, you're, you're probably, you know, you, if you don't follow these rules, you're going to be excluded. I just remember dropping down into my seat, you know, and the other, you know, the other attorneys were, you know, just standing there. Uh, at, at this point in time, there was an attorney for the child. Uh, uh, yeah, there was an attorney for the child because that was part of not only did they put in the motion for the forensic evaluation, the custody evaluation, but then they also put in a motion for the attorney for the child. So those two things were granted at the same time. So then the attorney for the child, right. And the attorney for the child was um, present through all of this. Um, in a way I was, I was uh, at first I was kind of uh, glad, but um, you know, uh, the attorney for the child was completely useless, completely oh, yeah. useless. And then by the time we got uh, to pretty much almost the end of the trial dates after the trial took place uh you know basically the 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 trial was ending in um in uh uh 2019 mm -hmm. um so at, at that point my younger daughter 
she was already, uh, you know, she reached the age of uh, majority. So she was no longer a minor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, lo and behold, you know, the attorney for the child withdraws, she did nothing the whole time. She didn't do anything. And the, uh, the judge, by the end of the trial, basically, you know, she herself stated, Oh, you know what? Now the, the youngest daughter is already reached the age of majority. She's no longer a minor. So custody is now moot. And uh, again, part of the playbook, it was just to uh, bring you into this uh, litigation, um, uh, you know, into this legal, uh, basically a legal abuse scenario. Oh, it is. It, it was. Is. Absolutely. It was just one motion after another motion after motion and adding on, um, uh, costs. Um, so anyway, uh, I had to, uh, represent myself. Um, and I, I, I had to do a lot of my own legal research and I feel that I did everything that I was required to do. And not only that, but I also presented a preponderance through a preponderance of the evidence that I presented, I proved my, my, my claims, I proved my case, which was basically, this is what it boils down to. And I want to, you know, definitely state this, um, that the whole uh, 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 plan of action, the whole tactic that was uh, being used here was that in order for my husband to uh, uh, take over all of the assets, the marital estate, uh, and every, you know, and, 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 and take control of our uh, income and leave me homeless and penniless was uh, to enter into the financial agreement with his brother. That essentially, that that promissory note, which I have a copy of, mm-hmm. and I've been presenting this to, to everybody. But anyway, that promissory note basically stated that John was entering into a, um, a financial agreement where he would borrow money from Trata LLC, an unlimited amount of money, and there would be a percentage. So there's profits being made by him signing that and that's not only breach of automatic orders that's dissipation of the marital estate that's financial abuse and financial rape because he did that um with without my consent and prior to me you know seeing it uh as part of the discovery uh, evidence that was going back and forth. Um, I didn't know about it. Mm-mm. So, you know, I, I, I didn't know about it. And, um, but I knew enough, once I did see it, <laughs> I knew that it was fraud. Uh, so, so that was it. So then after he secured the litigation funding, that's mm-hmm. what the promissory note was about. The promissory note was litigation funding to finance his attorney. His attorney, Andreas Vasilatos, and and I proved it to the court that the attorney was taking, was being paid out of this litigation funder's uh, pocket. 
kind because of like money laundering. Something like that, yeah. right? Um, follow the money. Who right. is benefiting? Who is benefiting? Obviously, the attorney's benefiting, mm-hmm. and the attorney is going to do whatever they're saying. And what were they telling the attorney to say? They were telling the attorney to lie about the um, the deeds and the ownership of 191 State Street. So they paid their attorney to falsify material facts about 191 State Street, which and that was entered into evidence as well. And I pointed that out to Judge Cully as well. I said, Your Honor, they entered into a financial agreement, they breached automatic orders, they paid their attorney through the litigation funder, they told their attorney to state, you know, we had to prepare our uh, statements of of uh, proposed disposition that was part of the laundry list, as I stated. Mm-hmm. So when we were at the, you know, at the be at, just at the beginning of the trial dates, which start the trial started taking place in October of uh, 2018, mm-hmm. and um, so in the opposing attorney. In his statement of uh, proposed uh, disposition, which he also, it was amended. Um, The first paragraph, right off the bat, the first, very first paragraph stated that 191 State Street is the separate property of the defendant, my husband. And uh, it's not subject to equitable distribution because it was gifted to him by his mother and grandmother. Guess what? First of all, that it's all a lie. But the mother never had an interest to gift to him. So that's falsification of material facts. How do I know? Because when the judge said that, you know, here's your laundry list, now you, you have to go out and you know you have to defend you, yourself, otherwise you're gonna be excluded. I immediately ran to the buildings, uh, you know, the lands records department in New York City, in Brooklyn. I went to the Brooklyn uh, office and I paid, I, I think at the time it was approximately $680, uh, which was a hardship for me. Mm-hmm. Um, to get certified copies of all of the uh, uh, the deeds and all of the documents pertaining to our three properties. Um, and that's when I, you know, first of all, I knew because I was present when the, um, the, the life estate deed was established. So I was there. So I, I knew that what they're saying is false, but then I was able to prove it through documents. And I, I, those were entered. Those mm-hmm. were entered in the record as, um, as exhibits. Mm-hmm. Um, she, by the end of it, the judge just ignored the, the documents. She oh. ignored my testimony 
And in her divorce, uh, the judgment of divorce, um, she wrote uh, in, in, in one of the paragraphs, she agreed with them. So she legitimized the falsification uh-huh. of material facts. So guess what? That makes her now a, part- a participant in grand larceny under color of law. Mm-hmm. You know, under color of law, you know, and, and in the process, she denied me and my daughters our due process rights mm-hmm. because that life estate deed not only, um, you know, included me in the transfer of the property, mm-hmm. it included our daughters. Um, and every time that I would bring up, you know, uh, uh, during the court, during the trial, uh, I would be shut down. You know, I, uh, I wasn't allowed, I mean, I presented, thank goodness, you know, it's part of the record. Thank goodness. I, you know, I was able to get in the, um, my documents and get in the, the deeds. Mm -hmm. Uh, but she would shut me down. Uh, when I started to, uh, during the, the course where I was, you know, um, when it was my turn to redirect, uh, because his attorney kept trying to state you know, they, they kind of thought that I wouldn't know. Uh, and it was difficult. I I will admit (laughs) I'm not a lawyer. And so it was really, really difficult for me, but they were counting on the fact that I would kind of not know what to do and that I would, um, you know, and that they would be able to say, Oh, look, well, you know, she just didn't know what to do. The fact is, is that I proved everything, you know, I, I was able to get everything done. Mm-hmm. And even now I'm able to talk about it because uh, I've researched, you know, the laws and in doing what they did, they broke several, and I'm talking about the judge. And that is why mm-hmm. I have initiated the petition to call for the impeachment of judge Anna Colley. And that can be found on um, change.org. Um, so she, the judge became a participant uh, in uh, breaking uh, New York State and federal laws, numerous federal laws. And if you go into onto anyone who wants to view it or read it, um, you know, I welcome uh, anyone. I invite them to actually view it and read it and sign it and share it mm-hmm. um, because, uh, you know, if she's on the bench and if she's doing, if she got away with it now and she doesn't face any consequences, she'll do it again. Oh, you yes. know, there, there needs to be consequences. There needs to be accountability. Mm-hmm. And what I'm stating is that um, it's, it's, uh, it's in our system. I'm not stating anything that's like, you know, extraordinary. It's, it's in our New York state constitution. Our New York State Constitution provides a form of checks and balances um, for our government. And um, uh, under Article uh, 6 in section, I believe it's section 23, Article 6 of the New York State Constitution, um, it basically states that the New York State uh, Legislature um, has the power to bring 
you know, to open up a, an impeachment inquiry and to impeach uh, certain, ju- uh, 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 certain judges. Mm-hmm. And she is a New York State Supreme Court justice. So mm-hmm. she would she would fall under the, these rules of of impeachment. And, um, you know, I had to do some research, you know, to find to find out, you know, what happens with these judges. And, um, you know, in New York State, we haven't had a judge impeached since I believe if, when I looked at for about, a, I think the last judge that was impeached was about 150 years ago in uh, 1872. Why is that? That's not because oh why? All the, why is that? Is it because, you know, there, there is no wrongdoing and we're an incredibly, you know, pristine uh, state? No, it's because we're not doing the job. There's no accountability. There's nobody um, demanding accountability. We have the power. Mm-hmm. It's right there. The power, you know, it, it, it's right there. And, and that's, what, that's what I'm speaking out about. Uh, you know, the New York State uh, uh, lawmakers are the, the New York State Assembly and the New York State Senate just started their new uh, legislative uh, session of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for uh, 2023, which runs from January to uh, through June. And I initiated this petition back in uh, uh, June of 2020, when I knew that she was working in concert with them because at that point in time I had received it was I initiated the petition actually before um, Mm -hmm. I got her uh, judgment of divorce um, because I I was served with the uh, notice of settlement and in the notice of settlement it, it it was basically an outline that the other side provided to her to basically just sign off on on it. And we showed up in court and I asked her law clerk, I said, is she going to sign this notice of settlement? I need to know. Um, she says, um, she said to me, well, uh, most likely, you know, it, it, it will be uh, signed. I don't know when it's going to be signed. I said to her, uh-huh. but it includes fraud. It includes the falsification. She says, well, if, if you, uh, you know, submitted the motions, it'll be taken into consideration. I had submitted the motions. I had presented my, my exhibits. I had presented my claims. And yet, as I stated before, it's all premeditated. The whole, um, the whole uh, legal abuse that took place from May 2016, and it's still taking place right now because uh, I'm still... Uh, uh, denied access to my home because of her illegal eviction notice. You know, that is still in place. Someone else is now occupying my home. Um, You know, when I said that I wasn't going to abide by her uh, judgments, um, my, my husband then decided, you know what? He was going to take it upon himself um, to get his lawyer to just, you know, uh, start the uh, trying to enforce these um, judgments. 
And uh, he started, it started one by one. He started in July of, uh, July 31st of 2020. It was in the middle of the pandemic. He called, um, he was trying to take away my car. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the vehicle that we both, uh, that we both owned. And um, so I had to call the, I had to call, uh, law enforcement I had to call 911 to get uh assistance but as soon as he presented you know the judgment of divorce uh they would not even uh consider what I was saying I was telling them that this was fraud I was giving them I I told them I have all the paperwork um, there, you know, my, what I'm saying can be proved, mm-hmm. um, through, through documents and completely ignored me. Uh, and they, t- they gave him, uh, the authority to take away my vehicle. So I was, I've now been without a car since, uh, 2020. So, uh, you know, um, for two and a half years without a vehicle. Meanwhile, he has, uh, so now he has uh, that car. He um, has his uh, work car. My husband, by the way, is um, a very, you know, he's, he has a position of power. He is a uh, Teamsters um, business agent for uh, Union Local 813. He was a former um, vice president of that union. And I want to bring that up. Um, I'm a union supporter. I'm I'm very grateful for, <laughs> you know, for for you uh, for for the union because that was everything that you know I have worked towards as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, uh, but he used his position of power uh, in order to, uh, you know, get this. Uh, get this favoritism, um, get the judge to uh, provide him with, um, with all these, to give legitimacy to illegal documents. That's basically it. Because what she did, she, not only did she not abide by not one uh, DRL, the domestic relations laws, she threw them all out the window. And she basically was stating she used the um, the excuse that in in and I want to quote this I have it here like pretty much handy where and I wrote this in my letter to the special reporter I included that um, in the decision after trial which was filed in October of 2019 New York State Justice Anna Cully stated that I as the plaintiff deliberately caused the alienation of the children from their father, Uh which is completely not true. Um, So going, you know, just to go back to that scenario, once I uh, stated to the forensic evaluator that I was not going to return to him because he showed bad faith, Mm-hmm. in, um, you know, keeping the information, truthful information from me. Um, he then, uh, during, uh, during the course of the trial, um, 
my husband and his attorney were stating that, well, she didn't comply. I did comply. Um, but uh, he, the, the, now the forensic evaluator still issued a report. And I don't know what he put in that report because when it was brought up in trial, the judge said all the litigants and their attorneys can, you know, read what's in there, but you have to sign for it. I knew that I wasn't going to sign anything. <clears throat> Basically, he was, uh, he, and, and he had sent me a letter in the mail, the, the forensic evaluator, stating that um, he couldn't complete his, um, any findings because I had not returned. Well, right, I had not returned because it was not in my best interest to return to you. Um, so I knew that at least the, the, the minimum amount that I had knowledge of is that he couldn't, there were no findings. Right. So, um, so I knew that if I signed off, if I put my signature to anything having to do with his report, I would take it upon myself. It would be uh, consenting. Right. And I was not going to consent to that because I had no, you know, mm -hmm. I had no idea what, what was even uh, there. Um, so be, I, I didn't consent. It, uh, the judge sealed uh, that record. And then she, she went ahead and, and, and stated this in her decision after trial about bringing up parental alienation, which is... Uh, weaponized. It, it, <laughs> weaponized, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's completely false. You know, how could I weaponize, how can, how can I uh, alienate uh, my husband from our, now, mind you, the, our older daughter was already, like I said, 18 years old. She had already, um, she was not living with us during the course of this litigation. Mm -hmm. But the young, our younger daughter was living with us in the same household. So it, it was impossible for me to alienate, mm -hmm. uh, you know, our younger daughter, uh, um, any, any uh, alienation that occurred was, uh, it, it was a lie. Mm -hmm. uh, he basically wanted to, uh, he was in, um, he was acting out in certain ways to alienate himself mm. from our youngest daughter. So I, I was standing back. The one thing that I wasn't going to stand back was when it came to our uh, finances to our property, because again, both girls have a property interest, had and have a property interest in 191 State Street. Mm -hmm. And I still haven't, um, because I'm not, I'm not acknowledging, I'm not abiding by her fraudulent uh, orders. Mm -hmm. So I have, I, I have not um, uh, relinquished my claim to any of our properties, not 191, not 458 State Street, Good. and certainly not marital property. I'm still fighting for it. Um, and I will keep fighting for it. So for him to say to the judge, oh, look, she's talking about uh, the litigation or she's, you know, uh, talking, 
Well, of course, that's my fiduciary duty. I am obligated to talk to both my daughters. Mm -hmm. Again, um, uh, the 18-year-old and the 16-year-old, which by the end of the, when when the trial uh, concluded, so at the conclusion of the trial, which took place in the last uh, trial date, was June of um, 2019. So at at that point, right, 2019. So at that point, our oldest daughter um, was already 21. Mm-hmm. And um, our youngest daughter, as I stated before, was already 18. So the laws in and of themselves, mm-hmm. again, these are college, these were college bound students they're they're not babies anymore they're not babies and the federal government itself because we applied for uh, we had to fill out the the financial the student financial aid form the federal Mm -hmm. student financial aid form uh, because um, you know that was one way for them to be able to uh, you know receive uh, student loans for themselves and so when you're dealing with when when the government is telling you that the student needs to know to disclose the family's financial um, you know uh, assets, how is the judge trying to then turn around and say, "Oh no, you're alienating your children because you're helping them with their you know with their uh, financial information it just uh-huh. again it's just like I said it's uh completely she was a she was and is aiding and abetting violations of law they violated again they violated me not only by putting me through uh and our children oh yes uh, right so uh violating um uh, putting us through legal abuse, mm-hmm. dissipating our wealth, because now he was accruing legal, you know, lawyers fees, uh, 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 fees for the attorney for the child, fees for um, the forensic evaluator, uh, all of this, the judge was uh, making uh, rule, you know, she was making uh, orders and judgments and decisions based on, you know, inc- that, that included these, this dissipation of the financial assets. And guess what? She used the false claim of parental alienation mm-hmm. to then rob me uh, of, of my marital estate. She left me with zero. And the way she did that is first and foremost, she accepted their falsification of, of the facts on 191 State Street in Brooklyn, saying that it was his separate property. So she took away $4 million. Mm-hmm. Then when I wasn't abiding by her orders, and then when they were building up the contempt, the whole facade that I was in contempt of court, she was then, uh, then she, she, her subsequent order said, um, oh, she is not agreeing and abiding 
mm-hmm. uh, by by these rulings, then guess what, John, I'm making you the receiver of I'm ordering the other two properties sold, and I'm making you the receiver of those other two properties. So that to me is that, um, yeah, she's working in concert with them. Oh, yes. You know, exactly. The, The collusion is just never ending. Working in concert. And I want to use, you know, you know, people don't understand that. Um, you know, I, I think that people get kind of this idea um, when you when you bring up the word conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to bring it up. And I'm not talking about a conspiracy in like, you know, the kind of like theory of, you know, well, what's going on here and whatever. I'm talking about conspiracy that is found in our laws, that there are articles and uh, penal codes attached and, and, and U.S. codes attached that use the word conspiracy. And there are uh, two of them. One is the uh, federal um, code, um, Title 18, U.S. Code 241, that um, is the, the, the code um, that describes, uh, um, that protects against the deprivation of civil rights under color of law when there is a conspiracy of actors, meaning conspiracy, meaning uh, government, people that have government uh, offices. In this case, it was officers of the court. His lawyer is an officer of the court. He falsified, you know, um, uh, uh, material facts. He broke um, federal laws. There are federal laws against, there are federal laws and New York state laws against perjury. There are federal laws, New York state laws against written, false written statements. There are federal laws and, and, and uh, uh, New York state laws against um, uh, certify, you know, uh, uh, false certification, which that was under what another thing that the judge did. Um, so again, uh, you know, I'm using the word conspiracy from in a legal context. I'm using it based on our U.S. codes and our New York State Penal Code. Um, I, I think it's 105. I think it's um, the New York State uh, conspiracy uh, is uh, New York State 10510, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and that's 105.10. Right, right. 105.10. And um, and again, if anybody, you know, if anybody misses any of this or wants to verify, fact check, whatever, uh, you can go to um, to the petition itself. The uh, you know, you can just Google um, petition to impeach and remove Judge Anna Cully. Um, basically it'll, you know, it'll come up in the search. It's under, it's under Mm change.org right now. uh, The petition has um, approximately at the time of, of this um, recording uh, it has approximately 1,390 supporters and it's growing. 
Um, and as I stated before, there needs to be accountability first and foremost on uh, Judge Cully, but also on her accomplices. She would not uh, been able to do what she did mm -hmm. had it not been for the other actors in, in this. Do you think you could give me that, uh, you know, um, to put that in the podcast notes where people can go and click on the change.org? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I can absolutely yeah. do that. Absolutely. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm very sorry you're going through this and why he would do this as you know, a, a father to the, the mother, if he really loves his children, why would he put the mother of his children through this is beyond me. That's, that's right. And um, which brings up you know, a lot of people uh, talk about the um, the the uh, the idea of best interest of the child, and it is not in the best interest. Right, it is not in the best interest of the child uh, to economically abuse them uh -huh. or their uh, parent. Um, in my case, you know, uh, their mother. Mm -hmm. um, it is not in the, you know, it, what is in the best interest of the child is for our laws to be, uh, you know, for, for, for um, our laws to be adhered to. Mm -hmm. um, that's why we have laws. We have domestic relations laws. We have um, uh, New York, we have state laws, wherever you're, you know, whatever state you, you find yourself in. Mm -hmm. And we have federal laws. And I am really uh, grateful that, um, uh, that the, the special reporter um, uh, is, is going to be presenting her findings, that she collected all of these findings, and that she's going to be uh, presenting this to the, uh, um, the United Nations Commission um, on Human Rights, because yes, this is uh, an intern, you know, you're now you're you're going into international uh, laws. You're going into human rights laws that are being uh, uh, abused. And mm -hmm. I want, I also want to point out that the reason that I had to file for divorce um, was essentially uh, uh, economic abuse. Mm -hmm. And economic abuse is now. Um, you know, uh, gratefully, it's now part of, it's defined in uh, the VAWA, the Violence Against Women Act. Mm -hmm. um, so it's enshrined there. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize that economic abuse is domestic violence. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. It's a, it's a violation of, of, uh, um, of, an, of another person. And uh, the other thing is, I, I, I don't, I, I really want to clarify because some people think that because of the title, the women, the Violence Against Women Act, um, it, 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 it actually, you know, even though it has women in its title, it is a gender neutral uh, law. So mm -hmm. this, you know, the, these uh, transgressions, these abuses, these violations can happen to both men and women, mm -hmm. and and they are happening to children, um, and that and that's why I'm here. And you know, I'm here to just basically 
um, uh, as, 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 you know, to just state a warning to just put mm-hmm. out, you know, blow that whistle, raise the red flag and say, this is happening right here. This is happening here in the United States. For me, it happens mm-hmm. here in New York state. So that's, oh. you know, and, and, and I will not, I will keep uh, fighting. And it's not, it's not that I'm, it's not just for myself. I will keep fighting to, for restitution of my property um, and for justice in my case. But I, you know, and, uh, but I feel that I am in this position and I need to put a warning out there to, the, to our society in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is happening to me, but this is not an isolated incident. Mm-hmm. This is not an isolated case. And I've brought up um, when I had to start doing research because I, I, I actually felt like what I was going through was just kind of surreal. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. mean, you know, like I said, it was a 23 year marriage. And all of a sudden, he's just acting like, you know, just conflict making. And I just couldn't recognize what was going on. I just couldn't recognize it. Was he having a midlife crisis or what was his problem? So um, I think it's, you know, yes, probably there was probably a little bit of that because, you know, at at that time, I I believe that the 2016, yeah, we were, um, yeah, I mean, we were both in our, in, in our middle, you know, midlife ages. Um, but I think it's a little bit beyond that. And I think that with, in his case, it is about control. It's about coercive control. Mm -hmm. It's about taking over the, um, the finances, even though I was a capable, uh, uh, Mm -hmm. career woman who was handling, uh, multi-million dollar uh, departments and accounts mm-hmm. in my career, which I gave up. And, and like I said, I have no regrets about giving mm-hmm. it up um, at the time that I did, which was uh, just about my, my oldest daughter was just about turning two. And at the time, Aww. yeah. And at the time I knew, we knew that we wanted to grow our family and we both made the decision, you know, we both sat down and said, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna make this work, we're mm-hmm. gonna scrimp and save and do whatever we need to do. And we're gonna make this work. I have no regrets. Mm-hmm. I would do it again. Um, but one thing that I know is that he, uh, oh, another thing that came up, and I want to, and I want to and I wanna emphasize this, is that during the course of the litigation, it came up that um, uh, I mentioned that I would I had gone back to just acquire the deeds and you know gather all my evidence that I was going to submit for exhibits, and uh, it came up that you know I discovered in the lands records office that there was a deed um, that was signed. He took his mother to the lands records office to sign a deed that uh, involving that, that she was giving, that she was uh, giving her share of 191 State Street. This 
this particular deed that that, that they were signing mm-hmm. uh, uh, took place in 2005. That's when I knew that starting as far back in as 2005, that he was planning this all along. Mm-hmm. And I had no mm-hmm. idea. I, you know, we would both be involved uh, in our finances. We had like a, you know, we had a handwritten um, accounting sheet. So we would record, you know, the, the rental incomes, we would record the income, you know, our household income, and we would record our expenses. And, you know, my background too, is when I went to NYU, I studied my major, one of, I took a double major and one of my majors was economics. Um, so I, you know, this is kind of something that I've always been involved in, you know, I've always been involved in the, uh, the finances, but, you know, I, uh, to a limited degree. Um, uh, and I never, th- there were some red flags, I, I guess I should have really, you know, been paying more, a little bit more attention. But I kept thinking in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, you know what, there's no need to like, you know, be paranoid or there, if he just tries something, there are laws in place. Yeah, yeah. There sure are there are. Right. <laughs> so that's my thing. It's like, we do have laws. They need to be enforced. They are not, not being enforced. enforced right now. And uh, not only are they not being enforced, but in my case, the judge as an officer of the court, because the judge is not the court, the judge is an officer of the court. Mm-hmm. And she, along with the other officer of the court, which was his attorney, mm-hmm. were uh, violating laws and uh, working to uh, transfer, to steal $9 million of New York City real estate under color of law. That's basically the bottom line. I mean, it doesn't get any simpler than that. So yeah, there needs to be accountability. I Mm -hmm. mean, I was, it was going into a divorce at, um, because I found, I, I just had, found the need. I saw that, you know, back then in in 2016, Mm -hmm. I had no choice. I found that, you know, he basically um, was forcing me into a situation where I had to uh, file for divorce. And and now I'm, and, and it would have been devastating for me either way, Mm -hmm. but then to have to start all over, but then try and prove the crimes against you is a little too much. It's, It's just a little too much. You, oh, you've been through so much. And I'd like to have you back on as a, a guest again. I would love to join you anytime. I would be glad to come back. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I would be, you know, glad to talk about uh, the issues and to uh, give any mm-hmm. updates as far as this ju- particular judge's impeachment, because it I, needs to be done. It needs to be done. She, um, she, I think her term is up the end of, uh, I think, December 31st of 2028. She needs to be removed now, now. Yeah. today, as soon as possible. She should not be serving. Uh, you know, the New York State Legislature has to remove her 2023 it needs to get done. If anyone has any questions for you, how can they get a hold of you? Um, uh, basically, uh, my Facebook, I, I try and keep it uh you know, the interaction on uh, public. So, you know, they can comment on Facebook. 
um, I, I do occasionally check in on um, LinkedIn. So LinkedIn under Anna Shihas, mm-hmm. um, they can find me there and they can send a message there. Also on LinkedIn, I did post the full uh, PDF of my letter to the special reporter. So they can find the document there. And uh, like I said, if anybody wants to contact me, you know, uh, reach out through LinkedIn and I, I can try and, or, or you know, comments uh, publicly on, on, on my Facebook account mm-hmm. page or even on LinkedIn. And I, I do answer comments. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Um, and um, also send me that uh, change.org link. As I, well. I will send you the link. Thank you so much, Marianne. Oh, yes. A pleasure. Thank well, don't. You. Don't jump off. Okay. <laughs> Slam the gavels of podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I am your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here in the future with Anna Tisankis. Yes, I'm so sorry. That's okay. Sakenis. Sakenis. Thank you. And other guests. Thank you again. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you.